What's up, party people? My name is Joe Morato. We are Apes Development. If you're tuning in this week, I believe we are on episode 14. <laughs> what a trip. Episode 14, I'm going to talk about something a little bit different today. This is going to be really focused towards my recovery people out there, people in drug and alcohol recovery. It really applies to anyone, in my opinion. It's, it's really about sexual relationships. I'm probably going to do like a two-part, I'm probably going to do like a two-part thing with sexual relationships, primarily because I've had somebody bring up a topic to me that I'm not really prepared to talk about this week. So something that I'm going to be talking about next week is going to be premarital, premarital sex and sexual exploration uh, of teenagers and, and what that looks like. I had a, a friend of mine who's a mom who has teenagers and she has raised questions and, and brought up a topic and uh, I think it'll be a great topic. I'm hoping that I can get someone to come and, and actually talk about that topic with me. But as far as what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about relationships and recovery and especially early recovery. You know, I don't know, for those of you who haven't been exposed to 12-step programs or drug rehabilitation and drug treatment, uh, it's kind of a, an unspoken law or an unspoken rule that people don't get in relationships or it's suggested that people don't get into relationships for the first year that they're in recovery, the first year that they're sober or clean. And, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of talk about why, first of all, people who are new in recovery don't have any idea how to have a relationship. They have no idea how to form a true partner partnership with another human being. They don't even know how to have a partnership or a relationship with themselves. So I think that there does need to be some amount of time spent focused on really digging down into causes and conditions and really looking at why an individual struggles with drugs and alcohol. What What is it that they're anesthetizing? What is it that they're trying to numb out or escape from? Most people that have drug problems or alcohol problems have trauma or PTSD or childhood abuse or some sort of something that haunts them in their in their day-to-day -day life, something that has broken them. Uh, and not everybody. Some people, some people are just born, you know, with brain chemistry different than other people and they just can't consume alcohol or drugs without going on a rampage because they don't have an off switch. So let me start by saying, let me start by clarifying what I believe. I believe that it's a mental illness. I believe the drug addiction alcoholism is mental illness. I believe that there is actually... There is actually medical research and scientific research that, that shows that the brain chemistry is much different, uh, especially when it comes to impulse control uh, in normal people versus alcoholics and drug addicts. Alcoholics and drug addicts really do lack impulse control and really do lack an off switch. And that's a fact. And that's why drug and alcohol treatment is covered by medical insurance because it is considered a mental illness, just like manic depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or clinical depression or anything else that's considered a mental illness, most of which are treatable by drugs. Drug and alcohol addiction is not treatable by drugs. There is not a medication. 
there are things like antabuse and opioid blockers and things like that that will stop people from getting high or make them violently ill if they get high. Unfortunately, there isn't anything that will make a drug addict or an alcoholic be able to drink or do drugs like a normal person. There's nothing that science has come up with that gives us a limiter or an off switch. Once we start consuming drugs or alcohol, we just don't stop. We don't have we don't have the impulse control or the willpower that everyone else has. It's just not in us. Uh, without getting too much in, on a tangent, I'm just sharing what I believe. You can again, I, I welcome everyone to challenge that and to say that I'm full of shit. In fact, I, you know, I wish that there would be discussions more on on my topics because I'm sure that there are people that think that it's utter bullshit and people are just weak minded or choose to just just destroy their lives. I can tell you that personally I've never made the decision to just take a gas can and pour it all over my apartment and take a match to my life and burn my life down. But I have done that over and over and over because of drugs and alcohol. And at no point was that a conscious decision. Like, I'm just going to burn my life down and destroy all my relationships and be homeless because that sounds like a better idea than what I have going, which is a successful life at this point. That being said, when people are newly sober or, or newly in recovery... They have no idea how to have a relationship with themselves. They have no idea what makes them tick. Um, they have no idea how to love themselves. So how could they possibly wrap their head around or grasp the ability to care for someone else uh, if they don't know how to care for themselves? I mean, self-care is such a huge part of recovery. And I will say this, that... Fortunately, I had a man who took me through the 12 steps, who had an extensive understanding of the 12 steps in, in our literature. Uh, and his advice was to get through the first five steps of recovery. And because of that, because there is a spiritual part of that process and because there is a deep house cleaning that gets down to causes and conditions and really looks at our resentments and our fears and our sexual misconduct, um, and then, and then getting that on the outside, sharing that with another human being and letting it go and, and getting rid of it. It's, it's really a form of counseling. Most people don't understand that the, the 12 steps really is a form of counseling. And it's really done on a one-on-one -on -one basis with a, with a man and a man or a woman and a woman taking someone through the steps of recovery. And sharing all of that, sharing that darkness and sharing that brokenness. And uh, so my sponsor suggested that I that I work the first five steps of recovery and that I have six months of sobriety before I try to get involved in a relationship. What was interesting is the people that I would have been attracted to when I was newly sober, I didn't find attractive anymore because a lot of my brokenness had worked itself out and a lot of my awareness of my brokenness had come to the surface and I was able to recognize other people's brokenness. Uh, and I was able to determine that that wasn't something that I wanted to be a part of or it wasn't something that I wanted to be in a relationship with. So I went from being really attracted to sick and broken people to really being turned off by sick and broken people. And that was part of the recovery process and that was part of the clean time. Now, what I will say is, is I have met plenty of people who have not worked the steps of recovery who have a year sober and have no business being in a relationship because they haven't done any of the work. They haven't done any of the work on themselves. They haven't done any of the work on their own uh, character defects, their own, their own flaws and their own makeup. And so they still have nothing to bring to the table but broken coping mechanisms and, and past trauma. And anytime you bring those things only into a relationship, it's destined to fail. So 
I don't stand with those who say that a certain amount of time sober or a certain amount of time clean is enough for somebody to be ready for a relationship. I, I know people that have acquired, you know, two or three years of clean time and haven't done any work, haven't done any self-exploration, haven't done any of the steps, and they're just as fucking toxic and broken as they were the day that they walked in. People are under this misconception, and I was too. I was under this delusion that if you remove drugs and alcohol from me, that I was a pretty nice guy. And that was bullshit. The truth of the matter was, is that I had all kinds of terrible habits and broken coping mechanisms, things that when I'm when triggered, my anger would flare up. I, talk, I have a whole episode on anger and explosive temper and what, what that stemmed from. I had lying and stealing were, were terrible survival skills that I had in my, in my toolbox. Uh, manipulation and, and cheating and all of these different things that served me well in a life of living like a degenerate scumbag but had no place in a sober life and had no place certainly in a healthy relationship. I, I needed to expose all of those things and work on all of those things so that I didn't take them into what I thought was going to be a healthy relationship. Now, what I am going to do is give you guys some insight into our literature, into our recovery literature. I'm not going to talk about what it is. Uh, I'm not going to, for the sake of anonymity, I'm not going to put my source out there. I can tell you that you can find these books on any bookshelf. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, you could probably search the, the parts that I'm going to be reading and find out on your own. And if you choose to do that, that's fine. Uh, but when it talks about... I'm going to be reading specifically about the fourth step of recovery, and I'm going to be reading about what it talks about with sex and sex conduct, and just a couple of different excerpts from that. It's not really long, but it's very important that, to me, in this episode, for the sake of this episode in this podcast, that you all understand what I've based my own experience off of how I grew from doing the steps and now how I choose to live my life and the way I perceive life and relationships now. And it's very simple black and white text and it's very simple instructions. And really, it's great instructions for anyone. So whether you have a drug problem or an alcohol problem or not, maybe you have a relationship problem. Maybe you have a sexual relationship problem. Uh, this is really... This is really the meat and potatoes of how I gauge my conduct and my behavior with the opposite sex with regards to a personal relationship. It says, now about sex, many of us needed an overhauling here too. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes. Perhaps one set of voices cry that sex is the lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it, or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow for man to have no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. 
What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. So there it is in one paragraph, an inventory, a sexual inventory of, of someone's behavior. It's not a list of everyone that we've ever slept with. It's not a, a contest to see who's got more hash, hash marks on their fucking sheet. It's very specifically about where were we harmful with our behavior. It says we got all of that down on paper. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and to help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, and never to be despised or loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex like we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God that we be shown what to do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. So when I work with sponsees and I work with other men, especially men that are having sexual relationships, I mean, I, I, I counsel and I sponsor married men who have been married longer than I've been sober. And I counsel men who are newly sober and have never had a sober relationship. And the instruction is always the same. We have to not be harmful with our behavior. We have to be honest and forthcoming about what we're doing, who we're doing it with, what we're capable of. If we want a relationship, we need to be honest about that. If we're not interested in a relationship, we need to be honest about that. Never misleading, right? I tell all of my guys, you can never lie to get the booty. That is off the fucking charts. You cannot be harmful. And for, for lack of a better word, that is the suggestion. You are not allowed to be dishonest, self-seeking. You're not allowed to cause jealousy or bitterness. If we do make a mistake or we are harmful with our behavior, we admit it and we try to make amends for it. Also, in shaping a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. What kind of partner do I want to have? What kind of woman do I want to have in my life? What does that relationship look like? The instructions are clear. We tried to shape a sane and sound ideal based off of our own misconduct. Going forward, what would be a better, healthier way to live? I wrote that down. When I did my fourth and fifth step with my sponsor, I wrote down the things that I wanted in a relationship, the things that I wanted in a partner. My sponsor's direction was clear. Now be that. If that's the type of partner that you want in a relationship, be that person. 
grow into that man that can be the partner to that person. And you will attract that. It gave me a set of ideals and a set of instructions that I could live up to easily. If I want a partner that I can talk about God with, then I need to have a relationship with God. If I want to have a partner that I can be transparent and open and honest with, then I need to live and be transparent and open and honest in all of my affairs. The point of, the point of me doing this topic today is that I have friends that are struggling with relationships and I feel like they're just not applying the tools that have, that have been given to them. And I feel like there are lots of people out there who aren't in recovery who can benefit from this same simple instruction. If you have a track record of stupid relationships or sexual misconduct and you want to change your behavior, it starts with you. It starts with you really taking a look at your past relationships and really looking at where you had been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking. Where had you unjustifiably aroused suspicion or jealousy or anger or bitterness? And are you willing to do something about it? Are you willing to make it right? And if so, then you need to do that. And part of making it right is living different and, and going forward not being that way. This whole bit of how, learning how to have a partnership with another human being starts with learning how to have a partnership and a relationship with yourself. I was in no way ready to have a relationship with another human being until I first learned how to take care of me. And I first learned how to love me and realize that I was worthy. How could I ever expect anyone to respect me or treat me with respect and love and treat me like I was worthy if I didn't treat myself that way? So, I don't want to get too preachy. I, I know that I get passionate about certain subjects. I'm very passionate about this one. Uh, I, I have a lot of friends that are, that are struggling with personal relationships. I have a lot of friends that are struggling in recovery, uh, having relationships with new people, or getting into relationships with people who are new in recovery. You know, relationships are hard anyway. I, you know, I've, I've done podcasts on love, and I've done podcasts on emotionally unavailable relationships and relationships take work even when both people are all in and even when both people are in a healthy place and have a healthy mindset um, why handicap yourself by getting into a relationship when you're not ready yourself and I, I, I have a friend I have a friend that I adore I love her so much and and she keeps getting into relationships with people who mistreat her and take her for granted and don't appreciate her. And, uh, and it starts with her. That's the truth. The truth is that it starts with her and, and she needs to learn how to love herself and find that self-respect and that self-worth and that worthiness and, and maybe be single for a while and, and being in that singleness and learning to walk with confidence in, in who she is. And this goes to everyone. Learning to walk in confidence about who you are and being comfortable in your skin and being okay with being alone because you're not settling for something that's not meant for you. That, that's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not going to lie. There's times where I'm lonely. There's times where I lack companionship or I miss having somebody to talk about my day with. Um, you know, and I had a, a friend of mine... Cindy asked me a few months ago, and I've shared this story with several people, but Cindy asked me a few months ago on the porch at the, at the Friendship House, uh, 
how come I don't have a girlfriend? And I said, well, because I choose not to. And she kind of smirked and shrugged. And, and, and I, of course, arrogantly said, are you, do you think there are women who don't want the job? Because there are. And I didn't say that to be egotistical or to be an arrogant bastard. The truth of the matter is, is that I do have women in my life that recognize my value and recognize my worth. But for one reason or another, they are not her. And I know that. And so I choose not to settle for a relationship that's not for me. And sometimes that sucks. Sometimes doing the right thing sucks. And recovery has taught me that, that doing the right thing doesn't always feel good. But I would rather be alone than spend one more day trying to shove a square peg into a round hole. I've done that my whole life. I've taken hammers and tried to smash square pegs into round holes my whole life to make things fit or to try to make things work. And I'm just tired. I'm tired of fighting. And I believe that when, God willing, the woman that was meant for me comes into my life, I'll know. And... uh you know, I, I, I will just know and it won't be a struggle and it won't be a fight. And I, I just believe that with all of my heart and, and I'm content with walking comfortably in my skin as a single man, knowing that I'm a good man. And it makes me, does make me feel good to know that people recognize and appreciate my value and my worth and, and recognize that I would be a, an adequate partner or a suitable partner. Um, that, that's growth for me. That shows me how far that I've come in my recovery as, as, an, as a man and as a man who's a sober man and a man who's walking a spiritual path. That shows me how far that I've come in the time that I've been walking this path. And all I can continue to do is ask God to continue to use me and to help me be of service to other people. And that's really what the podcast, where that came from, was wanting to reach out and wanting to help other people. So... If you got anything from this, it really comes back to accountability, right? It, it's the ape's mentality, 100%. This is 100% the ape's mentality. Accountability. I need to be accountable for the, for the past that I have, the behaviors that I've had, the past relationships, the past harms that I've done. I need to be accountable for that. I need to take responsibility, and I need to fix it if I can. I need to set right any past wrongs, and I need to move forward with change by practicing positivity, right? Creating a positive, sane and sound, ideal future relationship life. Have a focus and a goal of what I want that to look like. What kind of partner I want to have. And then I need to be willing to grow emotionally and spiritually towards being that partner to someone else. So it really is the apes mentality. Accountability, positivity, emotional and spiritual development. If that's not what this is, so be it. Maybe I should quit my day job and, and become a janitor or something. But for me, if this helps one person, if one person sees this or hears this and wants to share it with one of their friends or wants to try to put it in place or, or put it in practice and it helps them to work on themselves and to have healthier relationships and to have healthier boundaries, then this hour of my life was not wasted. It was invested into helping someone else learn a little bit what I've learned from my experiences. And I'm grateful to have this platform and I'm grateful for all of you that follow me and that listen. Uh, I, I, I love getting text messages and messages from people saying, when's the next episode going to come out? What's the next episode going to be about? 
I kind of let God decide this week. I, I let it ride till the end of the week. And I had a dream last night that woke me up. And, and when I woke up this morning, this was just what we were going to talk about. And I didn't do any research today. I didn't do any definition finding. I didn't do a bunch of writing. I just wanted to come off the rip, off the chest, from the heart, share some of our basic texts with you guys. If you got something out of it, thank goodness. Uh, it wasn't for nothing. If you didn't and you thought it was crap, leave a leave a comment. I, I really do appreciate all of you guys, and I would love comments, like, subscribe, share, post it on your page, send it to your friends. Um, anything that you can do, if you support what I'm doing and, and want to help, anything that you can do to get my message out there, I would appreciate. I love all of you guys. I want to thank my friend Victoria for putting some shirts together. I don't know if you guys can see it, but she put some some we are eight shirts together for me. I've got stickers now. I'm still working on the on the vendor or the the merchandise website. It's still coming. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Thank you guys for listening. I love you so much. Happy Easter. Uh, again, I don't care what you say about me as long as you talk about me. I love you guys.